how many copies of The Joy of Cooking by Irma Rombauer do you have? Oh, you know, a couple. I have the facsimile of the original. I think that came out, I don't know how many years ago. I have the 1997, that big redo, which really is not my favorite. And I have the new one. And I might have one of the ones from the 1970s, but I'm not sure. And you know, when I was cooking for one of the professors at CMU when I dropped out. uh, That's a whole other story right there, I suspect. (laughs) Entirely. You can read it in my book. (laughs) And the two books he had me cook from all the time, The Joy of Cooking and The New York Times Cookbook. Mm. That's all they wanted was recipes from those two books. Interesting. What about you? I have to confess, I don't actually own a copy of The Joy of Cooking. Every place I've always... Listen, listen. Every place I've always worked has had a copy, a different version, right? Under lock Mm -hmm. and key. So I've always just consulted it there. And I've always kind of held off on purchasing one because they do come out with these consequent versions. Mm-hmm. And there's always something new and different to find in but it. That's like saying, I'm not going to buy an iPhone because there's always going to be a new one at some other point. you got to put your foot in the water. Same but different, David. Same but different. <laughs> All right. Well, did you know that Julia Child said that she learned to cook in part by using the joy of cooking? That Julia, wise woman. She is. What's interesting is just about every culture has what pundits describe as the joy of cooking of blank. So in Portugal, it's the traditional Portuguese cooking by Maria de Lourdes Madashtu. Then there's the Talisman Italian cookbook in Italy by Ada Boni. And, and it goes on, it goes on. So every culture has that particular version of what they consider to be the joy of cooking. Absolutely. And here in America, it is the most enduring cookbook. And while I could just prattle on and extol the virtues of it, why don't we talk to John Becker, the great-grandson of Irma Rombauer, and his co-author and wife, Megan Scott, two folks who know all there is to know about joy. They're the, if you think about it, they're the givers of joy. They're, they spread joy wherever they go. They're the joyful couple of the culinary oh world. They just, they Adam, just give would joy you make him stop, everywhere. Please? Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just edit him out. He'll never know. He never listens to these things anyway. Thank you. You got it. I'm Renee Shetler, Editor-in-Chief of the website Leet's Culinaria. And I'm David Leet, its founder. And this is Talking With My Mouthful. John and Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Before we start, I really want to say this, that I think some of our listeners might think, why talk about a book that is 89 years old? Right? But that's the point of the joy of cooking, at least to me. The book and its recipes... They've gotten us through World War II, the Cold War, the tumult of the 60s and 70s, the changing landscape of family, financial crises, and now with the pandemic, I think people are grabbing for it. We are. It's on our counter in the kitchen. And it's always been there for us, this particular book and all of its heritage and lineage. And no other book in America can say that. No, absolutely. I mean... Uh... I think that uh, we've we've certainly tried to keep joy relevant, especially for you know um, the times we find ourselves in now. But um, you know, there's a continuity, obviously, between the first edition and our latest. At least I'd like to think that there is. Mm-hmm. But it's a living document. There are nine editions, ten if you account for the two that were published in the '40s, both during and after World War II. And so, yeah, no, I think it's definitely still relevant. Um, 
I'm at least I hope so. We, we certainly tried to make it relevant. And I mean, one of the things that we have thought about a lot during the revision process and afterward when we're talking to people about the book is that, you know, most cookbooks are sort of written starting from scratch. Um, mm-hmm. They all have a kind of a, you know, a binding theme. And Joy of Cooking is really unique because it's this work in progress. It's been a work in progress for almost 90 years. Right. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think that allows or that has allowed the family to just continuously improve upon it and never really take it for granted that it's a finished work. It's always mm-hmm. it's always changing and moving and breathing and living. So it's it's been really cool to work on it for that reason. It is a living document of American life for the last 90 years, basically. That's beautiful. So when you were doing this edition, what were your guiding principles? Mm. Do you want to take this one? or? <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that, um, so it's actually the, um, there's a quote in the beginning of the 1975 edition of Joy, um, and it's a Goethe quote, and it says, um, I'm probably going to butcher this, but um, <laughs> that which thy fathers have bequeathed to thee, earn it anew if thou wouldst possess it. Mm. Um, and basically, you know, that's a very uh, nice way of saying you shouldn't just inherit something and then try to, you know, add some bells and whistles and then pass it off as your own. You really need to work on it and earn what you've inherited. And so I think when we were working on this project for 10 years. Um, don't mess up. Yeah, don't <laughs> mess up today. That was that was no certainly a, a guiding principle. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it really right. it really was like kind of, a, I, I, I want to call that the family curse or, you know, at mm. least Mar- Marion's attempt to, uh, you know, cast a spell. You know, it wasn't until I read this dedication to the 1963 edition that Marion wrote. It was actually the first edition that she published after uh, Irma passed away. You know, I, I encountered this quote at a very, you know, kind of difficult time in my life, and I really wasn't sure what direction I was going to go. And it just really, you know, hit me in a very special way. And, it, you know, the dedication, you know, she thanks Irma for all the wonderful things that, you know, that she had done for Joy and, you know, their own personal relationship though it was somewhat rocky every now and then, but at the end of it, she says, you know, I hope my sons and their wives continue to keep joy a family affair, but uh, beholden to no one uh, but themselves and you, you being the reader. And um, I think that really gets at the heart of, you know, the ethos that we brought to the book is not just trying to continue the tradition, not just trying to improve upon this book, but also to try to speak to home cooks where they are and to Mm. try to anticipate their needs as much as possible. So do you have, do both of you have backgrounds in food? Because suddenly taking on this tome and not having any sort of background in cooking could be awfully difficult. If not daunting. Uh, it was both. <laughs> yeah. uh, luckily, Megan has, you know, she had some pr- professional experience, I guess, uh, you know, worked yes. in a bakery. Yes, I, I had worked in a, so I worked in a bakery. I had worked on a goat dairy for a few years. Um, so some some interesting experience with food. But I had also only graduated in, um, let's see, I graduated from college in 2006. No, I didn't. I graduated in 2010. Oh my goodness. Um, Time flies. And so I, I actually started, I met John in 2010 and right, right before I graduated. And then that same year we went on to start working, um, for his family's business. And so the amount of experience I had had was pretty limited. So in a lot of ways, my entire career as an adult has been working on this cookbook. (laughs) 
Interesting. So how long did this revision take you? So yeah, we, we started working for the family and started working on the book in 2010. And um, we basically started by apprenticing with Ethan. And what that really entailed was just testing all of the recipes from the 2006 edition. Um, so that's how we started. And then we we also helped build an app for iOS out of the 2006 edition. Mm-hmm. And after all of that, we finally decided that you know we had not only some insights into how the book was put together and a lot of uh, insights into what recipes really worked and what need which ones needed to be tweaked, but also you know just had kind of a better idea of how to proceed with the next edition. And so from then, from there, we kind of. We built an outline that took a long time, but we ended up signing a contract with the publisher. I think it was five years ago. Um, yeah, I think it was five years ago. But I like kind of to echo what John said. I don't think we would have been able to do this revision if we hadn't had the previous five years of experience just testing recipes. We also did um, these recipe genealogies where we would. Uh, cook the recipe, make our notes, and then try to figure out where it had been added in the book. Um, mm. So which edition it came from originally and whether it appeared in every edition since then or if it skipped over one or two, how it had changed along the way. Um, so that really gave us this in-depth look at the history of when things had been added. And it kind of also gave us a familiarity with uh, the different voices of the different authors. So it got to where we could tell, oh, this is an Irma recipe for sure. This Uh is a Marian recipe. Um, And so that was very instructive. Or a 97 recipe. Yeah, or a 97 (laughs) recipe. (laughs) We'll get to that in a second. Well, it's almost as if the book needs a cliff notes to go with it, right? With all these annotations. Yeah, that would be a cool thing to do for the 100th anniversary or just have- That would have, be a great yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. Are there any recipes that have made it from Irma's all the way down to this one? I want to say that there are around 100 recipes that have remained and a lot of them mm-hmm. um, have not really been um, altered all that much. Although obviously mm-hmm. some of them have been, uh, you know, tweaked and updated over the years. But um, but yeah, you know, I during the process of this, you know, these genealogies, it was pretty surprising how many, you know, we were able to trace back to either the 1931 edition or the 1936. Yeah. All the way to the 1931. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a small, not a small edition, but that was all printed. She had it printed herself. That's right. I mean, it's pretty, you know, yeah, relatively speaking, pretty, pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and it was way ahead of her time too, basically doing self-publishing. Now I'm curious though, both of you guys are so thin. Did you guys test all these recipes? And how it did, how did you remain thin? We did test them. So, well, we, yes, we tested a bunch of recipes. I think, how many recipes did we test by in the, the first time, five years? Yeah, by the time we actually signed a contract, I think we had tested over 1,500 recipes. Oh, dear God. Um, wow. So, yeah. And then um, all the new uh, all the new recipes in the latest edition, so there's six, about 600 of those, that we did all of those ourselves. Um, we did have um, three recipe testers that worked with us part-time to help mm-hmm. test some of the ones that were already existing from previous editions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also had the benefit of, um, so in 2006, every recipe in the book was tested by a professional test kitchen in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had physical copies of all the test notes that they sent us several years ago um, in these huge like boxes. Yeah. Semi-load full. They were cleaning out their their trove at Iron Mountain. And so they, they were like, do you want these test notes? It's like, oh yeah, sure. And so- <laughs> Why not? So did you actually comb through all those boxes of notes? Is that how you decided what recipes to keep, what to change and what to add? 
it was definitely like there was an archiving project uh, as well as all of this recipe testing. So mm-hmm. yeah, we we definitely uh, we organized all of those test notes so that we could you know that we could functionally get to them when we needed them, mm-hmm. uh, and we certainly. You know, if if we were having trouble with a recipe, we would go back first and consult the notes um, for sure. And it did inform uh, not necessarily recipes that we wanted to get rid of or keep, but it, if we found a test note and there was an issue with the recipe, we made sure that that issue was resolved. And if it wasn't, which ha- did happen in some cases, we went back and retested to make sure that there wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. And how did you decide what new recipes to add from the last edition? What informed you? It was really tough. I mean, I, I feel like we, we, first of all, we tried to identify, um, you know, classic uh, American recipes or maybe even regional specialties that um, we hadn't had. You know, we were like, oh, my God, why don't we have a Chicago deep dish? Or, uh, you know, why, you know, <laughs> I mean, my, my father grew up in Ohio and yet um, we don't have, we didn't have a recipe for Buckeyes, which are like <laughs> some of the simplest candies you can possibly make, which is actually, right. you know, that, that was another thing. It's like, okay, we should have super duper simple recipes for people to make in some of these like more challenging chapters, like the candy chapter. And then there were other sections of the book that just felt like they needed a bit of a refresh because we cook things differently now. Um, And one good example is the vegetables chapter. Um, That chapter had not really been extensively revised since probably the 70s. And so, well, I mean, 97 being the exception to everything about this book. Um, But in that chapter, you would have all these basic recipes for cooking vegetables, and then they would be served with white sauce on top. And it's like, okay, I mean, this is... That's fine, but we need to kind of update this chapter. So just doing more interesting things with vegetables. Um, we did add some more vegetarian and vegan recipes, like main, more main course or heartier recipes, um, because we know more people are interested in cooking that way, even mm-hmm. if they're not vegan or vegetarian. So mm-hmm. um, lots of little changes. Really just we took notes over the entire period that we were testing recipes thinking about like, okay, we don't have a recipe for shakshuka. That seems like something people are wanting to cook now. It seems pretty elemental almost now. Well, and Um, that kind of brings up like the other kind of thing that we were, the kind of drove our decisions about um, what to add. And that is, is like, you know, one of the, you know, the 1997 edition was actually what I, the one I took to school, you know, when I, when I moved out of the house and had to start fending for myself, that was the one I took. And one of the things I loved about it was like all of the new international recipes that were in that edition. And, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, it, I think we both realized that, you know, it was time to kind of uh, not only improve the ones that we, you know, inherited, so to speak, from previous editions, but also to kind of expand our repertoire of international recipes to things that maybe aren't, you know, just to keep people's um, interest up as far as exploring uh, other cuisines or cuisines that are new to them. Um, So that was definitely... So like moving beyond just having a recipe for pad thai and adding things like cow soy guy. Um, you know, just digging a little deeper. Um, and, you know, there were just thousands of these little decisions to make as we were revising. Um, sure. One at a time. Well, I was very happy to find out that there is a Portuguese recipe in there 
for mm-hmm. Caldo Verde. I don't know which edition this came in, but I'm grateful being Portuguese. I'm grateful that our national, quote unquote, our national dish, people consider Caldo Verde to be a national dish, is actually included in the joy of uh, cooking. So I do appreciate that. It's and definitely one of our favorites. Yeah, that's a fantastic yeah, really recipe. Yeah, yeah, it is. So the 1997 edition, we alluded to that earlier, mm-hmm. right? It varied pretty dramatically in style from what went before. Um, well, intentionally so, right? There were some star chefs and food writers who overhauled some recipes, created new recipes. There were some recipes that were dropped. You know, a lot of people say the Rambauer heritage was lost. And if you could just talk to us a little bit about how that affected the family and how that compelled you to kind of take a different perspective to the following edition. Ah, man, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a long it's a long uh, story. It's a, I guess you could call it a painful saga, but... Um, There's always a lot more behind the scenes than what anyone ever realizes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I graduated high school in 1997, so I wasn't there for the play-by-play, but, um, you know, in addition to all of those test notes that we inherited from the from the publisher, we also got just as many boxes of the paper trail from the 1997 edition. And it is truly amazing just the, that, the history of that and, you know, the... I mean, I think a lot of the food writers that were involved with it probably, you know, have a bad taste in their mouth from their experience with mm. that um, that project, and I don't blame them based on what I've seen. But um, I guess the context for the 1997 edition is that uh, my father, you know, at that point he had been uh, basically dealing with an adversarial publisher for, well, basically since the early 80s is when he tried to start, you know, putting together. Uh, the next edition of Joy. You know, uh, Marion, his mother, had published uh, her last edition in 1975 and uh, passed away a few years later. So um, Bob's Merrill, the publisher that um, that they were with, that went out of business. And uh, there was a brief period of time when Joy was uh, underneath the ITT umbrella, and apparently that was a nightmare. And then finally, uh, Macmillan... Uh, that's where we ended up at. They really wanted to wrestle editorial control away from the family. It was pretty much the condition that they had for releasing another edition. And they tried to, um, various ways of um, pressuring my father to uh, try to, you know, relent and um, give them editorial control so they could just basically turn the joy of cooking into a brand rather than, um, you know, continue the legacy that Irma started. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the backdrop. And, you know, finally, uh, after lots of, you know, maneuvering, we were able to ink a deal with Simon & Schuster. And, um, you know, my, my father's counsel at the time, uh, his, his agents, uh, really thought that uh, a really high-powered editor would be the thing to kind of, um, you know, rekindle the spark after 20 years of there being no joy of cooking. Understandably. Newton. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, and and so uh, they enlisted uh, famous editor Maria Guarnaschelli, and mm-hmm. uh, you know she really approached it, and I think what would what I would consider to be like the the works approach. You know, you uh, it's a huge project. It's you know the book hasn't been updated in twenty years. So what do you do? You you find people to really work in their um, area of expertise. Uh, you divide up the labor so that it's not an onerous task, Um, you know, all of that stuff. So there ended up being like, uh, I think it was 120 contributors altogether. Wow. So yeah, and and she enlisted 
lots of, you know, very, you know, of people I respect and rightfully so, you know, it's uh, Rick Bayless, uh, Julie Sani, um, Alice Medrich, Rose Berenbaum, Molly um, Stevens. And that was at a time when food writing just seemed to be burgeoning. I mean, it became, yeah. it was becoming this thing where in, in the past it hadn't. And so you had all these names and personalities. And voices. And voices, different voices. No, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I really think that, uh, you know, there were some management issues, I think. You know, there were, like, a lot of personality conflicts, especially with, you know, Maria. She, um, I mean, I I had, you know, being really young, I had some good interactions with her. But apparently I was, uh, <laughs> I was an anomaly. In the, in the minority. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, mm. Uh, you know, and by the time that, you know, Ethan and, and Maria were out there promoting the book. They really were not speaking terms anymore because it was just such a fraught process. But, you know, Maria was, is a talented editor, was a talented editor. And um, the reason why Joy works is because, why it has worked for so long is because, uh, you know, we try to approach it with incrementally. You know, you don't necessarily want to start over from scratch. You're not, you're not creating like this gigantic, uh, you know, end-all, be-all reference book from scratch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's, by starting over like that and trying to work within the typical time frame that uh, book publishing, you know, kind of just how the business works, it created a situation where it was basically, regardless of her skills as an editor, it was basically an impossible task. And so- right. The manuscript like just ballooned out of control, and as a result, a whole bunch of cuts had to be made at the end. And um, mm. yeah, so all of the preserving chapters had to be cut, cocktails had to be cut, frozen desserts. Most of um, know your ingredients was yeah. cut. Most of candies. So a lot of the a lot of the chapters that have a lot of character and sure. people expect from the joy of cooking were gone. Right. History, um, yeah. and so. You know, like John said earlier, there's a lot of things that are good about the 97 edition, but I think if you look at it holistically, it did lose the voice um, yeah. and that familiar feeling of joy of cooking that it's had since 1931. Um, and people could tell. And um, it's certainly like when we compare that edition to the others, it does feel like an anomaly um, in spite of all the good things it has. So, I mean, there's complex feelings about it. And, you know, a lot of people, it, that was their first edition of joy. So that's their mm -hmm. favorite one. And that's right. totally great. You know, we're happy that they found it and we love that they love it. Um, but yeah, we have complicated feelings about it. Of and John, your dad pulled it back with the edition after that, the one before this, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the, the 2006 edition, uh, you know, was published on the 75th anniversary of the first edition. Mm -hmm. And as such, it was kind of, you know, conceived of as a um, taking the best of the 1975 edition, uh, the one that Marion published, and the best of the 1997 edition. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I feel like that kind of got us back to a good point at which to move forward. But um, it was kind of, um, you know, we I think that at the time we, the family was kind of going for a retro feel. So there were some recipes that were brought back that, you know, I don't think either one of us would have done, like uh, <laughs> shrimp wiggle. Uh, was one of the ones that <laughs> shrimp wiggle. Oh, yeah. for our listeners, oh, John, please tell us what shrimp wiggle is. It is a bechamel with mm -hmm. shrimp and ketchup. Ketchup. Or mm. chili, chili sauce. Is it chili sauce or ketchup? It might be chili sauce. It's one of those. Yeah. And uh, green. Flies. <laughs> I can't remember. Green peas. 
and then you serve it over toast. So mm-hmm. it's basically shrimp and white sauce with ketchup yeah, the, and peas. It's like a, it's a like a seafood SOS, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that the book has you two back at the helm. <laughs> Very grateful. So did you both consult with your dad, John, when you were doing your edition? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's... It was really hard to make some of the cuts that we, you know, had to make in order to make, you know, make room for all of the stuff that we wanted to add. And, um, you know, sometimes it felt like, you know, we were treading on hollowed ground or, Mm -hmm. you know, that we might that we might be, uh, you know, I definitely don't want to be trampling over like an heirloom family recipe. So, you know, yeah, I, I would definitely if I had a question about something or if I, you know, needed a quote unquote permission to go in a particular direction that I thought was a little, you know, like riskier than than the alternative, then I would definitely be on the phone with him immediately. But, um, you know, after, you know, I think that Ethan definitely was ready to kind of give us like the latitude, the freedom that we needed to kind of take the book where we needed to go with it. And, you know, because I think he understands that, you know, we probably had a better handle on what's more relevant for today's home cooks than, mm-hmm. th- than he does. Sure. So, and yeah. I think it's understandable that it would take you a little time to kind of feel your way through it. it. That's most things in life, right? You have to start to experience it before you can get comfortable with it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think for Ethan as well, he, as John mentioned earlier, he had such a struggle um, with the publisher for so many years that by the time we were ready to take over, he was sort of like, here, take it, please. (laughs) So you've given birth to this, I don't know how many pounds, baby, (laughs) with how many recipes are in the book, this latest edition? Uh, 2,400 is our accurate number because so the, the publisher really likes to inflate the number based on, you know, if a recipe has, um, optional ingredients that might be Mm -hmm. added, then they count that as a new recipe, even though, so our number is 2,400. 24. So you've taken 10 years to revise this 2,400 full distinct recipes. You've gone through postpartum depression. (laughs) Yes. What are you doing now? Are you... (laughs) Are you looking forward to the next edition? Are you planning the 100th? We started making notes on uh, the next edition maybe a week after we turned in the manuscript. So really? Just yeah. things that we, like, oh, oh no, we forgot this. Or, All you know, those we, things that come to you after you hit send. Yeah, right, or exactly. things that we just that we thought of during the revision, but that we ended up not having room for, or mm-hmm. it didn't work mm-hmm. for one reason or another. Um, sure. So yeah, we we already have a list going, but we haven't really started in earnest. And do you consider yourself better cooks now, now that you've gone through this whole process? Uh, yes, <laughs> it, was, it was a learning. It was definitely a learning experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, sure. because Joy is such a, a general cookbook, it has a little bit of everything. So you know, you definitely learn things as you have to go through different sections like um, smoking meat or um, learning how to make different types of candies or baking bread and all this stuff. Like, you know, both of us have certain areas of cooking that we really love and are better at. Like I'm more of the baker. John is really good at Mm -hmm. like grilling and smoking and preserve, like preserving projects like fermentation. Um, And so we had our specialties, but then this really challenged us to get outside of that and, you know, Mm -hmm. have to reckon with some of the other things that we aren't as familiar with. And I think what is so special, John, and I'm speaking to John because it's his family, is that it started with Irma 
And of course she did it because she needed the money. She needed to somehow create income for herself. And it went down through this whole line of amateur cooks. And it comes down to you and you were not a professional chef. You're not professionally trained. And so if you go through these recipes as an amateur cook and you make them work, that means I think every other amateur cook who really is careful and thoughtful can make the recipes. And that's what I think was somewhat missing in the 1997 edition a bit. And and now it's back in your hands. You guys are the stewards. And moving forward, I'm sure you're going to be adding a lot more and your kids will be coming into this and, and who knows where it'll go. But I love the fact that the lineage is unbroken and it comes from the amateur cook experience. No, that's, that's absolutely what we were trying to keep, uh, to remain true to is, mm-hmm. you know, this is written by and for home cooks. Beautiful. Yeah. And it shows, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's so much amateur cook as always learning cook. Right? Yeah. We all are. Curious and always learning and willing to try new things. Yeah. But just because you're amateurs doesn't mean that you can't be kick ass. <laughs> because in 2009, you both were blindsided by a study by Brian Von Sink in the Annals of Internal Medicine that said joy was, in a sense, complicit. <laughs> in the obesity epidemic because portion size of the newer editions were 44% bigger. But you two body slammed that study. So can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> body slammed this doctor. Well, you know, it, it took it took a while for us to kind of work up the gumption to do that. But so at the time, you know, when this uh, was getting passed around, uh, there were like lots of little kind of, uh, you know, easily digested uh, nutritional studies that he's put out there over the years. And, uh, you know, I think this was actually one of the first ones he had done, but it had gotten a lot of uh, publicity considering that it was a non-peer-reviewed letter. And at the time, you know, Ann Mendelson, I think, wrote She's the biographer of Irma and Marion. Mm-hmm. And she, she wrote Stand mm-hmm. Facing the Stove. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So she she came to our defense and wrote a, a, you know, a, like a little letter to the editor, I think, of the LA Times uh, when they, they had published um, you know, a report of this study. And um, you know, so at the time we really tried to head it off, but we figured that it would just kind of, you know, um, take its course, you know, it would just go through the news media ecosystem and then be left by the wayside and people would go on to another topic. But it turned out that um, not only had it been cited many, many times over the intervening years in uh, academic works, uh, but Brian Von Sink was also trying to, I think what I when I noticed it again was when he, he had uh, had one of his graduate students draw a cartoon. Uh, yes. He was basically offering it uh, to anyone who wanted to post it, like, you could use this for free. Uh, And I don't know, it just got me really angry. So, you know, we had been doing all of these recipe genealogies, you know, so I I really knew, like, the study that he did, you know, it tracked, like, maybe uh, 13 recipes. Supposedly, they were the only ones that, you know, that were the same. Mm -hmm. And so that was his, like, you know, his data set, which is incredibly small, considering that it's just, it's a gigantic book. But, uh, you know... I just I knew that I could do something uh, with this, uh, considering all the research that we had done, and we were kind of in a lull, waiting for the publisher to get back to us on some contractual Uh-oh. issues. So I, you know, I just I got some uh, nutritional analysis software and just went at it, and uh, and luckily. And how many recipes did you end up analyzing that way? Because you like didn't just take yeah, you just didn't you didn't just take the wow. ones that Von Sink did. Yeah. You did all the ones that had been in the book since, was it 31 or 36? I think it was 1931, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, luckily, uh, I had no idea what to do with this stuff. I didn't know if I should be uh, trying to, you know, publish, a, you know, a piece in a journal or, you know, how to go even go about that. But uh, as luck would have it, um, you know, uh, people were finding issues with his uh, this professor's work already. And, and interestingly, you know, I think a lot of folks have... Uh, mistakenly referred to him as a scientist or as a doctor, and he's actually he was actually a marketing professor um, at Cornell. Yeah. So he was not he's not a nutritionist. Um, just that's kind of a side yeah. side note. <laughs> There's lots of side notes with this, um, but a very important note. Yes, most people don't question that they see something published and they just go along with. No, I, I, especially yeah. in this this era of amateur epidemiology, it's definitely mm-hmm. definitely strikes a chord mm-hmm. that way. Um, but I saw so I saw something on Twitter um, one day about another someone else had taken issue with another one of his studies, and I texted John immediately because I was at my other job, so I couldn't do anything about it. But I texted John and I was like, "This is the time to get your findings out there and to share, put it on Twitter." Mm-hmm. And so John did a Twitter thread. And got the attention of someone from BuzzFeed who had been reporting on um, his other studies and retractions. And then um, Helen Rosner at The New Yorker was interested, so she wrote a piece about it. And so it got a lot of uh, attention. And it was kind of terrifying at the time because, you know, we were having our data set analyzed by actual statisticians. Like, people Mm -hmm. were asking us for our data, and we're like, okay, here it is. Please, you know, be kind. But, um, you know, what John found was that our results from all that nutrition analysis was that there wasn't a statistically significant difference in the caloric density of recipes um, from 1931 to 2006. Um, so it was really an so interesting we, project for so us. So we did not we did not supersize anything. That's I mean, that, that, you know the yeah, truth prevails. Exactly. Um, I mean, I, I really do appreciate the, the that critique of you know restaurant portions and. Uh, you know, packaged foods, but you cannot treat recipes and especially yield lines like they are um, just like a, I guess, a, a trustworthy metric of, mm-hmm. of no. what of what people are actually feeding themselves and their loved ones. I mean, the whole concept of leftovers kind of negates that. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, it's very true. Excellent point. Yeah. Well, John and Megan, it was absolutely wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much for picking up the mantle of this incredible family. Really America's family and bringing it forward into the 21st century. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having us. It was great to talk to you. It's a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you. John Becker is the great-grandson of Irma Rombauer, the original author of The Joy of Cooking. John is the fourth generation of his family to steward the iconic cookbook. Megan Scott is John's wife. The two worked together for 10 years to co-author the 2019 edition, which came out in November of last year. You can find this classic tome wherever books are sold. And look for John and Megan on Instagram at The Joy of Cooking. Ooh, those look good. I'll have one. Yeah, I'll make it two. Mm-hmm. Renee, I know you put a lot of time and thought into what's going to go up each week to tie in with our guests. And of course, we have the joy of cooking, and I'm sure you have a panoply of old and new (laughs) that works with joy of cooking. So do tell us what's on the menu this week. Look at you busting out the thesaurus. (laughs) 
Yes, we do. We've got some newfangled twist on some old-fashioned classics, including grilled roasted chicken, mm -hmm. which we have you for spatchcock or butterfly. Oh, and we break that down in detail exactly how you need to do it. It's so simple. It's going to save you so much time and frustration at the grill because the chicken gets cooked evenly and quickly. Mm -hmm. We also have kind of a riff on Southern potato salad. It uses sweet pickle relish, but I swear it's different than anything your mom or grandma ever made. Mm. We take whole beef tenderloin and we grill it. Nice. Chocolate fudge swirl ice cream, but vegan. Oh, that's interesting. Right? We've got macaroni and cheese for those mm. of you who craze that year round, but we tell you how to make it with cauliflower. Yabba dabba doo. And kids are actually clamoring for more, swear to God. Mm. And then we give you rhubarb pie, but with a little bit of a kind of brown butter twist on it. What more could a man want? <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Overt Studios, and our producer is our own classic, Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam at Overt Studios at overtstudios.com. Remember to subscribe to Talking With My Mouthful on your favorite platform and listen to us wherever you go. If you like what you hear and you want to support us, leave a review and rating on iTunes. Ciao. Ciao.